We are continuing our series on 2 Thessalonians. And if you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But before we begin, I want to read something to you guys from me and Aaron. It says, Dear Fountainhead, <laughs> Dear Fountainhead family, sorry, I had some stuff going on. We just want to say a huge thank you for all your concern during Libby's heart procedure and her recovery. We can never say how grateful we are for all the calls, visits, texts, food, gifts, and especially prayers. We have no doubt the comfort we all felt and the success of the procedure are a result of such fervent prayer. Amen? Amen. What a blessing you all are to our family with sincere gratitude and Christian love, Matt and Aaron. And I know Aaron means it and I do too. We sure do love y'all. And appreciate you. So just remember that the power of prayer is alive and well, and it works. So don't ever forget it when you're in a trying time. Don't ever forget it when you're struggling. Don't ever forget it when you're down and out because God hears you and God heals the brokenhearted. Am I right about it? He will help you along the way. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is a a pretty in-depth lesson. And I hope that you have open ears and open hearts to hear this lesson and let me kind of put this together. And then at the end, I'll make application for us. And I promise you this blessing will be a comfort to you and, and something that you can use in your everyday walk of life to be more bold and more courageous. I want to read it though. I want to read uh, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll begin our lesson. As Todd just read, the Bible says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word, or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is, a, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved." 
And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul, in the second chapter of the letter of Thessalonians, is wanting to make sure they understood the importance of not being swayed by the things that they had been taught. And I want you to remember that statement. He was warning them to not be shaken by some false teachings that were creeping into this congregation of people. You know, when we think about the Greek word for shaken, it means to be moved. It means to be agitated. It means to be disturbed in your mind. How did Paul want them not to be shaken? Think about what it says in verse two. He says, uh, do not be so soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. He didn't want them to be shaken in their spirit. He didn't want them to be troubled. Well, why was that? Because these false teachers were coming in and they were teaching false doctrine. They were preaching that Jesus had already come, that the day was already over. He didn't want them to be shaken in their spirit and he didn't want them to be troubled in their minds, but he also has some more thought in this. He didn't want them to be shaken by message or word. See, these oral teachings, these men obviously were coming in and they were teaching these things uh, that supposedly Paul agreed with. Well, how do you know that, Matt? Think about what he says in the verse. He says, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. You know, it's a scary world that we live in, isn't it? When we think about false doctrine. And we just talked about this in class. And I love the thought that we had brought up. The word of God is pure. It's tested, isn't it? It's been tried. You can try to uh, make it look false. You can try and prove it to be not true. But in the end, what do you find out? That it is true. That it really is a shield. But then the next verse that we looked at in class was Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6. And it says, do not add to the words of the Lord. What was happening here was exactly that. These false teachers were coming in and they said, if we can't prove Paul to not be an apostle, here's what we'll do. We'll just make him be a part of our lie. Paul says, don't be shaken by these new teachings. Don't be troubled in your spirit. And he even says by letter. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe a letter had come that had made claims on uh, this new way of thinking, this new way of teaching. And, and again, Paul is one in agreement with this. Paul says, I do not want you to believe these things as though it was from us. And then he concludes verse two by saying, as though the day of Christ had come. But what was this false doctrine? It was exactly that. 
There was this thought that Jesus had already come. And you remember we had talked about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And brethren, let me tell you something. People in the world today have this view. Don't think that this is something that is old and gone away. People in the religious world today still hold to the view that Jesus Christ has already come back. But what does Paul say? He says, no, Christ has not come back. Paul didn't want these Christians to let anything influence them or to be unsettled by any false teaching. See, this chapter is about bringing truth to the top and everything else being done away with. What is Paul doing? He's wanting to elevate what he says is actually, thus saith the Lord. And brethren, don't we believe that to be true? Don't we believe that Paul is an author that is inspired by God? Because if we don't, then we have to take a lot of epistles out of the New Testament, don't we? 13. And then we have to discredit Peter from saying that the things that Paul writes were scripture. Sometimes hard to understand, but are beneficial for us as brethren. For some reason, though, these Thessalonians, they were struggling with the coming of the Lord. And, and let me just set this up in context and run with me in the story, and then I'll make the application for us today. But verse 5 is key to this thought because look at what Paul says. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? What are the doubts creeping in? Why are you struggling with this thought? Don't you remember when I was actually with you guys, I told you these things? I told you these things. He's pleading with these brethren that they wouldn't allow anyone to deceive them about this fact. He wanted them to trust what he said. He wanted them to believe that what he was telling them was truth and to not be shaken on any other thought. Isn't that the way we should be today, brethren? Man, what a great application. Isn't that the way that we should be today? Is it not true that we as the church should not let the world dictate what is truth and what is error? But isn't that exactly what's happening? We shouldn't let false teachers determine how we live. Am I right, brethren? The way that we should live is according to what God says. What God teaches us to do. What God says is right. What God says is wrong. Paul wants them to have patience. He wants them to have confidence in the things which he had taught them. And we should have this same confidence. And we're going to talk about this more next week uh, on this concept of standing fast in our confidence of the truth. But again, Paul in verse 5, he reminds them of the things that he had discussed before. And, and here's, the, here's the reality. We don't have that information of that conversation when he was literally with them. We don't have all of the details that he talked about with them. You know, it's kind of like being on the phone. 
Maybe Aaron's talking to one of her friends and I'm over on the other side and, and I hear her say, really? I can't even believe that, girl. Seriously? No. Tell me that one more time. Well, I can hear exactly what Aaron's saying, but what can I not hear? The other part of the conversation. Am I right? Paul says that, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And we're going to elaborate and expound on that thought. But this character, there's this character that's supposed to come. This character that a lot of people have a lot of opinions on, especially in this chapter is going to come and, and what's going to uh, take place is what Paul is going to build up. He's going to prove that what he's talking about is true. That not what uh, these other teachers were saying is truth, but what he is talking about is truth. The significance of this character is this, that the second coming couldn't take place until he was revealed. And he hadn't been revealed yet. Think about what he says right here in verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away first come. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In verse 5 he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things? And then verse 6 he says, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Wow, Matt, you diving off into some deep stuff. Yeah, we about to go deep for just a minute. Don't go sleep. <laughs> don't go sleep. Just follow me. Hey, if you don't catch it all, that's fine. Come back here and rebuke me and tell me to straighten it out better. But I'm going to do the best I can to give you the best information that I know. All right? And we can elaborate on it all day long, but I promise if you'll hang with me in this, you'll catch the blessing at the end. This character is key in the point to prove what Paul is saying is true. But the million dollar question is, who is this character? Who is he? Who is this one that is to come? Well, we know who it is. The Bible says it. It's the man of sin. It's the man of lawlessness. But who is that? Oh, the debates rage. Oh, the commentators, all oh, the scholars speak on who this could be. Could it be the collective line of the popes? Could it be the Roman emperors themselves? Could it be Satan himself? Could it be evil as a whole? You know, false religions and these uh, atheistic groups. You want to know the honest truth? We just don't know. So what can we in this time, looking back into the first century, get from this message? 
While scholars may discuss the meaning of the passage, and I'd love to elaborate on it or debate on who the man of sin actually is, I'd love to talk about it. There is no discussion, there is no debate over the horrible things that are portrayed by Paul about the one who is to come, this man of sin. I want you to think about these qualities. Look at verse 4. It says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And look at verse 9. It says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Unrighteous deception. He opposes God. He seeks to take the place of God. He leads others to oppose God. He sets out to obtain as many followers as he can. In fact, he'll even gather you, brother or sister, and lead you to oppose God with unrighteous deception. He gives himself to error. The mission of the man of sin is that to lead people to accept and to live by and die for error. What a scary thought, amen? He gives himself to evil and wickedness. He's committed to evil and he knows full well the nature of it. He leads others to destruction He's already doomed. Think about what Paul calls him. He calls him the son of perdition. That word perdition, it means destruction. See, Paul pictured the end of this man of sin from the beginning. You know, we always say that uh, no one sets out to go to hell, right? But apparently the man of sin does. It is hard for one to conceive such a movement, such a personality. What Paul gives us is a picture of an apostasy. What is an apostasy? It's a falling away that is sold out to wickedness and destruction. But when will this man of sin come? Think about what verses 7 and 8 say. It says, for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains you will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Some power, miraculous, Roman uh, empire, something was holding or restraining this man of sin from reaching full force. Paul says that at some time in the future, this restrainer would be taken out of the way. Look at what verse 6 says. It says, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed, how, brethren? In his own time. 
But this is key, and I hope that I've sparked some curiosity. I hope that there's some curiosity in this thought, in this chapter, in this uh, man of sin and who he is. I hope that maybe you'll dive into God's word and think about it uh, some uh, on your own this week. But the key in thinking about this man of sin that people get so worked up about. See, the wickedness doesn't start with him, does it? (laughs) See, he's not the one who's going to start this wickedness. What does verse 7 say? It tells us that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Am I right about it? (laughs) And don't we see it every day in our time? Religious groups accepting error Denying the faith by following a lie. The massive push push to preach and teach error because it's cool and acceptable. Churches of the Lord's body accepting what is okay in society and, and not even holding fast to the doctrines of the Lord. Come on now. What's happened? What's happening to us? Would we rather believe a lie? We would rather be soothed with itching ears than hold fast to the truth. See, the church should be proud to say this, that we do what the Bible says and not what is politically correct. Huh? We should be proud to say that we do what the Bible says and not have to apologize to the world. Because God's word is pure. God's word is absolute. God's word is truth. You think God doesn't love the world? He sent his only begotten son. (laughs) He sent his only son to die for the world. So don't tell me what he says. He doesn't mean the best for us. But one thing that Paul says, and I want you to hold on to this thought too, that it can't be denied is what verse 8 says. When this lawless one, when this lawless one is revealed, you know what happens to him? He gets consumed with the Lord's breath. (laughs) That's how powerful he is. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The man of sin will be in the world and he'll be destroyed when Jesus Christ comes. Victory in Jesus will be the shout. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what the situation is, brethren, here's the fact. We don't lose. Do you believe that? Matt, I don't know if I could do this anymore, man. People ain't even coming. People ain't even being a part of what's going on. People don't even act enthused. And do you believe the truth? You know how many people Jesus had with him? Twelve, man. <laughs> we still talking about them today. Am I right about it? Twelve. And one of them betrayed him. It don't take many It takes you. 
takes you. So after thinking about the appearance of the man of sin and realizing that he could be around any corner, woo, I ain't scared of you. How about you, brethren? I ain't scared of Satan. I ain't scared of his tactics. I ain't scared of the way he tries to get me because you want to know why? The one that I serve is way bigger than that. My confidence is in somebody who can handle any situation. What's the application for us today in this? How can we avoid him? How can we make sure that the man of sin doesn't capture us in these thoughts? Paul shows the way of deliverance from him. And he does it in an indirect way and is talking Look at verse 9 and 12 with me. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You want to know how we avoid uh, the lawlessness? You want to know how we avoid the working of Satan? Here it is right here. Oh, you've heard it a million times. I probably had it up on points a hundred times, but I'm going to put it again because I want you to know what it is. Do we have a sincere love of the truth and obedience to it? Do we? Sin looks fun sometimes, don't it, brethren? It has an appearance that it looks like it's a good time. I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I'm going to tell you, sometimes in my mind, I think, you know what? It wouldn't be that bad to get a little bit of alcohol on my tongue. Sit out and relax a little bit and give me a couple brews and just sit back and relax. But you know what happens if I do that? I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know when I'm going to stop. So what do I have to do? I have to have a sincere love of the truth and understand that that's not for me. That's not the way that I live my life anymore. Because I've been forgiven of that way. I'm not going to set myself up in a trap. Oh yeah, it may be fun for a while. But what happens, brethren? It always comes back to haunt you, don't it? If I'm drunk, I can't see what's happening. I can't realize the situation. Maybe I just take a couple every once in a while. But that couple becomes more and then I'm addicted again. And now I can't live without it. The man of sin will deceive those who don't love the truth. And, and look at what the Bible says in verse 11. It says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. 
This concept is, is not a, uh, only to this area of scripture. You remember in, cha- in Romans chapter one, when Paul is talking about those who turn to those things that are a dishonor to nature. Look at what the word says. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. He gave them up to it. And then he says in verse 26 of that same chapter, he says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And watch this one. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Hear me when I say this. God will give a man over to be captured by the lie that he wants and he desires. Do you hear that? You got free will. God will give you. You know, you tell your kid not to do something and then they do it. How does it make you feel? Huh? Hey, parents with grown-up kids, you tell your child not to do it, and then they do it anyway. How does it make you feel when they do it? Does it break your heart? God is pleading. He set commandments up in the Old Testament. His son died for this whole concept of avoiding sin. And what do we do? We run right back to it. Oh, how it breaks God's heart. But here the Bible tells us that God will give you over and you can become captured in that lie that you want and and desire. What do we want? What do we desire in life? See, those who don't love the truth and take pleasure in unrighteousness, they will be persuaded by lawlessness. By the working of Satan, by the man of sin, whoever it is. They'll be controlled by a lie and they'll be led into a place of eternal destruction. But brethren, if I love the truth, if I obey the truth, loving the truth involves obeying it how? Genuinely and sincerely. It's not a burden to me. I want to do it. I want to do the right thing. I'm eager to do the right thing. I'm eager to show you what's right and what's not, what's not, uh, what's, what's, what's not right. See, we may not know every detail about the, the man of sin, And in the context, he wasn't uh, really trying to bring this thought out. He was trying to bring comfort to these Thessalonian brethren who were struggling with these false teachers coming in saying that Jesus Christ had already come back. But by not knowing all the details doesn't mean that it ain't all right. Am Am I right about it? 
As long as we love and we obey the Lord, we'll not be taken in. We won't be seduced by anything. We will not be shaken in the truth. The Lord we serve has shown us mercy by giving us his truth. And you know what we should do in return? We should love it. Do you love it? Brethren, do you cherish it? Do you hold it near to your heart? Like that newborn baby. Isn't it still awesome to give your kid a hug and tell them you love them? He's shown us mercy by giving us his absolute truth. Do we love it? Do we cherish it? And do we live by it? Because when we do that, we keep ourselves from error. Brethren, I want you to remember this verse. Please try to memorize this verse, will you? Because I love it so much. It's Psalm 119.2. And look what it says. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. And here it is. Who seek him. And look at the last part. With the whole heart. With the whole heart. Not half-heartedly, not a quarter-heartedly, with the whole heart. The fact of the matter is that, is that Jesus hasn't already come, but he is coming, amen? He's on his way. One day he's going to be here. I can't wait for that day. Huh? Man. I'm longing for that day. But nothing is going to stand in his way. No tough guys are going to have a chance against the Lord. Amen. So will we let other things keep us from being with the Lord? Or will we be ready? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 as I close. Therefore, you also be ready. Be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I hope that you're ready. I hope that you won't let false teaching. I hope that you won't let false doctrine. I hope that you won't let any other thing skew you from what the truth is. And it's God's word. What he said is what it is. And if you follow it, you will have an abundant life, not only here, but in the one to come. Don't you want that kind of life? Don't be ashamed to admit what you are. Don't be ashamed to tell people who you serve. Don't ever, teenagers, don't ever be ashamed to tell them who your God is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel. You remember them boys? They went over a long time when they was young to Babylon. And they said, we are going to serve God no matter what. And they did it. And we can do the same thing today. Maybe you're here and you're struggling though. Maybe you need some prayers. Maybe you've got some things going on in your life that, that just aren't going the way that you need them to. And you, and you need some encouragement. You can come forward and we can pray with you. 
But maybe you're here today and you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you need to become a Christian. You can do it by obedience to the gospel, believing who Jesus is. You can do it by repenting of your sins, confessing his name before men. You do it by being baptized in water. You go in old and you come out brand new. The forgiveness of your sins. And then you do it by being faithful to him. And one day he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You served me and I appreciate it. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. You, if you need to obey the gospel, please come right now. Together we stand and sing. Yeah. <laughs>